I want us to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Out of honors to our mothers right off the bat. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In the Amplified Classic, if you have it, if not... Uh, the New King James Version will be fine. But I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Classic. And what's taking place here is uh, Timothy had got into a place, um, the persecution of the church, what was happening. Um, he had lost his focus a little bit. And he had allowed some fear and some intimidation to come in, just dealing with people. At that time, I mean, the, the persecution was so intense that they would literally hang Christians up and burn them alive as like the lamp post, the street post uh, in the street. And, and Timothy knew that the next knock at the door could be the Roman soldiers coming to get him. And so he's having to deal with fear. He was having to deal with his mind. He was having to deal with all these things. And so Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Do you have the, is that the Amplified Classic? Perfect. He says, I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith. In the New King James, it says your genuine faith. The leaning of your entire personality on God and Christ and absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. A faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I'm fully persuaded dwells in you also. That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. Now I want you to, to, to think about what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to go back to those times when you were in the presence of your grandmother and your mother. And whenever they prayed, things begin to happen. When you saw them apply God's word and things begin to shift, I want you to go back and I want you to recount what you learned in their presence. I'm not talking about, Timothy, the times when they were just blessing the food and they were just praying for Tom, Dick, and Harry. I'm, I'm asking you to recall the times that they imparted the word and when they prayed, all of heaven listened and all of hell trembled. Timothy, I need you to get a hold to yourself and go back and stir up who you really are and stir up the gift of God and to stir up the call of God on the inside of you. Timothy, don't forget who you are. It doesn't matter if there's a knock on the door in Roman soldiers. Don't forget what God has placed on the inside of you. It doesn't matter how intense it looks out here in the natural. Don't forget, I need you to stir up the faith that you inherited from your grandmother and mother. Mothers, thank you for being women of God. Thank you for believing God's word. Thank you. A lot of us are here because of the prayers of our mothers. Am I the only one? Mothers, thank you. Pastor, thank you. Pastor Charlie, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And while you're turning over there, I want you to say this. There's more in me. There's more in us. As the body of Christ, as the children of God, as the family of God, there is more in us than what we're walking in right now. We haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. But remember, God always meets us at our level of expectation. 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, very familiar passage. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Church, I, I want to I ask you, who do you say that Jesus is today? Who do you say that he is? And notice how they said, some say, some say, some say he's just Lord. Some say he's healer. Some say he's deliverer. Some say he's provider. Some say he's protector. Some say he's way maker. Some say he's the one leading, directing, guiding. Some say he's the bread of life. Some say he is the resurrection. Some say, who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just some religious icon? Is he just a prophet? Is he a good man? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you have it settled on the inside of you? Who is Jesus to you? Not who is Jesus to pastor? Who is Jesus to you? Are you in the process of knowing him for yourself? Who do you say that he is? Are you confident with all boldness, with all courage? Who do you say he is to you? Because when you know, you're bold. Who do you say that he is? Do you have it settled? Victory, sinner, who Jesus Christ is to you? Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Say, my Father. We need the help of the Holy Spirit for the revelation of who Jesus is. And he says, now upon this rock, the revelation of who Jesus is, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The word church is not a religious word. It's a governmental word. And at this time, it's the word uh, ecclesia or however you would want to say it. And what this paints a picture of, the church means the called out ones. It wasn't the people that got together and said, uh, how are you? Oh, we're blessed and highly favored and we have our Bible and we honk if we love Jesus. And all that's fine and dandy. No, no, the church at this time, the, the emperor or the king would select individuals and he would call them out and they would come near to hear. And then he would express his heart and he would express his mind and he would express his plan. And then the called out ones would take what was on the heart of the king and they would go out and they would implement it. And he says, these are the people, the called out ones who come near to hear, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The ones who have listened to the call, answered the call, come near to hear with an expectation that I'm going to learn a little bit and I'm going to do a little bit. I'm not just going to come through church on the way to lunch. I'm going to come with an expectation to hear the heart of my father and then I'm going to apply what I'm learning because it's the doers of the word of God who get results. Not 
the church comers, not the bumper sticker havers, not the Bible toters. It is the doers. The doers. He says, upon these people I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates, say gates. The gates. To this time, the word gates, it, it, it painted the picture of things that came in and things that went out, gates. And he says, now I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I give you the keys. Who gets the keys? The ones who answered the call and they came near to hear what the king is saying. And when the Father reveals something to you, who do you say that He is? Because if you don't know who He is, then even though you have a right to the keys, you have a lot of keys that you're not applying. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys. He says, I will give you the keys, not to the kingdom, but of the kingdom. So knowledge of who Jesus is, is a very important key to the kingdom. Knowledge of the blood of Jesus is a key. See, when you know you're bold, when you know there's power in the blood, it doesn't matter what the devil accuses you of, you remind him of his future. You remind him that you are forgiven. You remind him that you are cleansed. It doesn't matter how addicted you've been your whole life. You remind him when you know that you've been delivered from the power of darkness, when you know that he's your provider, when you know that he is your healer, when you know that he is your protector, when you know you are bold, when you know you are bold when you know he says I will give them the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind you bind not whatever he binds whatever you bind where on earth it'll be bound in heaven whatever you loose not whatever he looses whatever you loose will be loosed I don't have time to teach on this, but keys represent control. They represent authority. When you have keys to this building, you let people come in. You let people go out. I guess I do have time uh, to teach on this because this is where we're going. <laughs> keys represent control. You, you have keys to your car. You're in control of who turns it on, who turns it off. You have keys to your house. You determine who comes in, who goes out. Keys. Say keys. Keys. Of the kingdom. Go with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 52. Keys. Keys of the kingdom. Luke chapter 11 verse 52. He says, woe to you lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves. And those who were entering in you hindered. I want to read it again. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourself, and those who were entering, you hindered. So when he, when he uses the word lawyers, it was the experts of the law of the Ten Commandments that Moses had given at that time. And he said, woe to you, for you have you have." Hindered the key of knowledge. People coming in and people going. He says, you didn't use your keys and you didn't go in. But not only did you not go in, you were hindering others from coming in. I don't want anything to hinder me from walking in all that God has for me. How about you? 
Look at your neighbor and say, no hindrances. He says, but it's the key of knowledge. Notice how he corrected the religious people. Don't let a hindrance, don't let religion. Remember Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. It says the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. Don't let the traditions of men, don't let what we think we know about God cause us to stop us from entering in to all that God has for our life. There is more than what we're walking in right now. But it takes the key of knowledge that can only be revealed by our Heavenly Father to give us access into those areas and places that we are designed to go. I mentioned it a while ago. Do we realize that when God wired us and gifted us and graced us that he had other people on his mind? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, you can just write it down. It says, whenever you and I discover the gift that God has placed on the inside of us, and we employ our gift, it says that we paint a picture of the manifold graces of God. In other words, when the real you comes alive, and you develop your gift, and you are tapped into the grace of God, and you rise up and you go into the areas God has called you to go into, and you take your keys that the gates of hell cannot prevail against you, and you are everything that God has called and created you to be and you unlock the doors and gates have been holding people back from knowing our heavenly father and you let them know the gate has been opened up the door has been broken down the gateway the prisoners you're loose come out of there and they come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ you're paint when you are you you're painting a picture of the goodness of God and it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance you have the keys we have the keys Control, authority. A lot of times one of the most damaging beliefs uh, across the body of Christ, and I'm in all different types of denominations, is that God is in control. Very damaging belief. God is not in control of anything that steals, kills, and destroys. God is not in control of murdering babies. God is not in control of tornadoes destroying people's land and houses and everything else. God is not in control of anything that steals, kills, and destroys. God is not employing the devil. The devil is not on God's payroll. God does not have to use the devil to get his will done. And God says, now I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you you forbid, earth will be forbidden in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. So do you think some of the reason why things are in the shape that they're in is because God gave us control? Now he is in control in the areas we give him control. And he says you have the keys and he's saying I want you to take the keys into the areas you're called to And I want you to unlock. See, when it's talking about the keys and the gates, in Isaiah 14, you can just write this down, Isaiah 14, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 46, Isaiah 49. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the coming King Jesus. And he says Satan has people bound up in his prison and the gate is shut. See, nobody had ever gotten out from behind the gates until Jesus showed up. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 says, If the princes of this world, the God of the ages, would have known what took place when he crucified Jesus, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because when he died on the cross, every devil in hell thought they had just crucified and thought they had defeated the Christ. When he went to hell, they partied and they were celebrating because they thought they had defeated and they knew once somebody got in hell, the gate was shut and nobody had ever opened the gate. On the first day they partied, the second day they party. on the third day, God said, this is my begotten son, and all of hell began to tremble, and he resurrected Jesus, and Jesus blew the gates smooth open. And they thought, oh, what just happened? In Revelations 1, 17, 18, Jesus says, I was alive and I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore, and I've got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And who did he give the keys to? Uh, see, Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. He went for us. Jesus did not need to defeat Satan for himself. He needed to defeat him for us. Jesus did not come to get a healing because he needed a healing. He did it for us. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy and then he gave us the dominion and authority and he gave us the keys and he's expecting us to go into the areas that we're called to. I want you to see this, that your gift is in you, God's grace is on you and you've got keys and God is expecting you and I to go into the areas we're called to and to set the captives free. He set the captives free, and then he turned and he delegated to us. He says, now you go, Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16. He says, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now I give it unto you. Now you go. You go. Look at your neighbor and say, now you go. He never told us to do something without giving us the power and authority to do it. He never gave gave us a gift without the grace in and on us to bring that gift to life because there's people attached to your gift. He never told you to become without the power and authority to become and do. There's more in us than what we're walking in right now. Say it, there's more in us. Ephesians chapter 1, go with me over there. Ephesians chapter 1, there's more in us. There is more in us. And I just want to start in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 14. In the Amplified Classic it says, In Him, verse 11, In Him we also were made God's heritage portion, and we obtained an inheritance. For we had been foreordained, chosen and appointed beforehand in accordance with His purpose. Say His purpose who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will, so that we who first hoped in Christ, who first put our confidence in him, have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in and adhered to and relied on him, were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. That spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Say inheritance. The first fruits, the pledge, the foretaste, the down payment of our heritage, and in anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, we have an inheritance. And whenever we come out of the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, 
there's more than just coming out and coming into. See, in our relationship with God, He's always taken us from one place to another place. He's always taken us from and to, from darkness to light, from sickness to health, from lack to abundance, from to. There's never popping a squat and sitting still in the things of God. And remember when Jesus, He corrected the religious people, and He says that you're not using the keys of the knowledge correctly, and you're even hindering other people from coming in. See, I, I want us to continue. Continue to unlock the next thing that God has for us. Continue to use what we have. Continue to have a strong foundation. Who do you say that he is? Always go back to our foundation. Who do we say that he is? He is healer. He is provider. He's protector. He's redeemer. He's Lord. He's Savior. But don't stop there. Keep coming into it. A lot of times when people get born again, they just want to step right in the borders of Christianity and live a little bit in the world and a little bit in the kingdom. But as they two-step back and forth right here, the waltz or shottish, whatever it is, as they go back and forth, there's so much more that God has. I want to keep growing, going from to. I want to keep growing so far away from where I started that I have to work at remembering what I used to look like and live like when I didn't know Jesus. And God is saying, I I want us to understand that we have an inheritance, say an inheritance. When you look at the word inheritance in the Greek, uh, one of it is aggressive possession. Has anybody ever inherited anything? From your family members, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, okay, two of you. Well, the rest of you, you've heard at least of inheritance, right? And it says right here, you and I have have inherited the Holy Spirit as our down payment. That it's just a foretaste. It's just the beginning. It's just a, a little dab. It's just a, of where we're, where we're headed, what's in our future, say inheritance. And the, the, the cool thing about Jesus leaving us an inheritance is not only did he die for you and I to get the inheritance, then he was raised from the dead and he gave us his Holy Spirit to watch over and help us enjoy and experience the inheritance that he died to give us. Say favor. <laughs> That's favor right there. Keep going. Ephesians chapter, seven, uh, chapter 1 verse 17 For I always pray to the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Say, knowledge of him. By having the eyes of our heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. The hope. To which he has called you. There's three things that Paul asked in in his prayer right here. When he's praying for the church at Ephesus. And he is praying for you and I. And I encourage you to pray these prayers for yourself and your family. and, And you've probably prayed these prayers before. But he says, I'm praying that the eyes of their understanding. I just want to read that part again. I'm praying that the eyes of their heart are flooded with light. So that they can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. That you would know. The word hope means a confident expectation. Hope doesn't mean a wish. It doesn't. He's not saying I just. I pray that they just. They understand that they twinkle twinkle little star. Now wonder what you are. They wish. No no. He's saying I'm praying that they know the hope of their calling. 
hope. I, I, I pray that they have a confident expectation of what they're called out of and what they're called into. See, the word called means summons. The word call has an authoritative attachment to the word call. Matthew 22, it says, many are called, but few are chosen. The call, he says, I pray that they realize there's a call upon their life. Not just a call, uh, those of you who are in ministry or a, a call to business. But first and foremost, we're called to know him. And then we're called to be us. And he's saying, I pray that there is such a confident expectation on the inside of them that they know that they're called to be the godly woman they're called and created to be. They're called to be the men of honor and integrity. They're called to be warriors in the kingdom of God. They're called to be the head and not the tell. They're called out of darkness into light. They're called beyond sickness and disease. They are called. He's not giving a little patty cake prayer that I just hope, I just pray that they just have this hope. No, no. He's saying I want this confident expectation to rise up on the inside of them that they realize they're made in the image and likeness of God. That they realize they have the armor of God on. They realize the blood of Jesus covers them. They realize that they're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That they have a confident expectation and they know, they know, they know because when they know, they're bold. That they know. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? What did Jesus come to? If he left us an inheritance, what did he come to do in his earth walk? What did he do when he, did on, when he died on the cross? What happened whenever he went to the heart of the earth for us? What happened when he was resurrected? What does this inheritance look like? Father, help us understand our inheritance. And Paul is praying, I pray that they have this hope, this confident expectation rise on the inside of them that they know and they understand. They know and they understand they know and they understand because once you understand something no devil in hell can rip it away from you he says I pray that they know the hope to which he has called and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints has set apart one so they can know and understand what is the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. He says, I pray that they understand the hope of their calling. I pray that they understand that they have a rich inheritance. Say a rich inheritance. Remember, an inheritance means that, that we have so much more left for you and I that we're not walking in. In our inheritance, yes, we have the nature of God on the inside of us. But in our inheritance, we have the name that is above every name. In our inheritance, we have the power of the blood of Jesus. In our inheritance, we have the keys of the kingdom and whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. In our inheritance, we have the armor of Almighty God. In our inheritance, we have angels that take charge over us. In our inheritance, we are empowered by God. We have the ability of God. We have the might of God. We have the mind of Christ. We are full of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. And Paul is praying that I pray that they know and they understand how rich this inheritance is. This isn't connected to somebody with a lot of money. This is connected to the creator of heaven and earth. And God is saying it's time for the body of Christ to rise up and for us to take our keys and understand I'm gifted, I'm graced, I'm called, and go into the areas of your influence and unlock your friends and family and let them know Jesus has already made a way. Come out of there. The blinders are off. Come out of there. The gates are open. Come out of there. When he says the gates of hell will not prevail, he's saying no gate, no wall, no barrier that hell has 
built up has the power and ability to withstand the church. But we've stood out on the outside and we've begged and we've moaned and we've cried and we've been taught. And Jesus is not saying, nowhere does he teach you to beg. He says, you take the keys and you understand what you bind, what you forbid, it's going to be forbidden in the heavens. See, there's an earth and heaven connection. In order to get his will done on earth, just like it is in heaven, there's got to be a connection. And Paul is saying right here when he prays about hope, he prays about the inheritance... And he says, the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power and in and for those who believe. See, belief comes from two different words. Be means to live and exist. Lithian is an old Anglo-Saxon word, and it means to live in accordance with. So what he's saying, at some point in time, when you hear about the, the blood of Jesus, you hear about the name of Jesus, you hear about your inheritance, you have to make a decision to believe it. Nobody can make you believe it. Believing means I'm going to choose to be in accordance with what God's Word says, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of my understanding, regardless of what it feels like. Believing means I'm going to walk in accordance with God's Word. He says, I'm praying that they're going to understand it's immeasurable, it's unlimited. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's on the inside of you, but they've got to believe. It's only activated whenever we believe. Remember Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all of those who believe. So I've got to ask myself, am I believing? Because this right here, it can be so full of the power of God, but it is no more powerful than an encyclopedia if I'm not believing it. What's an indicator that I'm believing God's word? I'm doing it. My belief always drives my behavior. If I don't believe, I don't do. But if I believe, then I do. If I believe that I ask God to forgive me and he forgives me, what am I going to do? I'm going to ask him to forgive me. If I believe that when I pray, his eyes are over the righteous and his ears are open unto my prayer, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. When I believe that the greater one is in me, then how am I going to approach? One thing I always ask myself, if I truly believe this when I'm studying, when I get done praying, how am I going to get up? What's my mindset going to be? What's my heart going to be? What are my words going to be like? Am I going to have a bounce in my step? Or am I going to pull my ear and suck my thumb and wah, wah, wah? Paul is praying for you and I. And it says, I, I, I pray that the word just floods their inner world. Until this confident expectation rises on the inside of them. And they realize you've been called. Not, not just out of darkness and into light. You've been called to victory. You've been called to win. You have been called to overcome. You have been called to live in divine health and healing. You have been called to walk in the blessing. You have been called and you have a name that is above every name. You have a, the power of the blood that is stronger than anything. We have an inheritance. He says, I pray that this rich inheritance that Jesus does. See, we all gather together. But how many times do we leave stuff here just thinking, well, that, I mean, he was excited today. Bless the Lord. And we do nothing with it. Because we, we train ourselves to give our attention to stuff with no intention of doing it. And we have TVs with 800 channels and we watch it. No intention of doing it. 
Oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah, that was good. No intention at social media. No intention of doing it. No intention of doing it. So then we come to church. Oh, that was good. Oh, yeah, bless the Lord. Oh, yeah. No intention of doing it. Instead of children of God, when we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the floor, there should be intention. There should be a choice and a decision on the inside of us. I'm going to be everything I'm called and created to be. I'm going to go everywhere I'm called and created to go. I'm going to do everything I'm called and created to do. And no devil in hell and no obstacle is going to stop me because I'm going to take my keys and I'm going to unlock what needs to be unlocked and I'm going to bind what needs to be bound and I'm going to stop every demonic spirit that is trying to hinder and hold me back from being everything I'm called to be all for the glory of God. There's more in us than what we've been walking in. So Paul prays, I, I, I pray that there's this hope, this confident expectation that rises. And I, I pray that they see their inheritance. See, we, we look with our eyes, but we see with our heart. And we let a lot of times what we look at out here talk us out of what we should be seeing in here. And Paul is praying, I pray that their eyes of their understanding is flooded with light and they see, they see. Because see, once you, you know, who do you say that he is? Well, some say and some say. and so I'm not talking about what somebody else says. I'm talking about what do you say? Because when you see it in here, what you see out here cannot talk you out of what you see in here. But if you don't know and you don't see and you don't understand in here, what you see out here will talk you out of who you are in here. But when you see yourself as the righteousness of God, when you see yourself as cleansed and forgiven, when you see yourself separated from sin as far as the east is from the west, when you see yourself as an overcomer, when you see yourself as a warrior, when you see yourself as healed, when you see yourself as blessed, no matter what you look at out here, it will not talk you out of what you see in here. And what you see in here eventually manifests with what you see out here. And Paul is praying, I'm, I'm praying that the church sees. That they have an inheritance that is much greater. I, I'm praying that the church sees that they begin to believe in this unlimited, immeasurable, surpassing greatness of the power, the power of God to those who go to church. To those who believe. An indicator that I believe something is I do something. Always remember, belief drives behavior. So when I come to church, I want to uh, learn a little bit and I want to do a little bit. I want to learn a little bit and I want to do a little bit. And I want to learn a little bit and I want to do a little bit. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says those are the people who are blessed, empowered to prosper and empowered to move forward. Say, that's me. Let's keep going. He, and he keeps praying here. And he says, the unlimited surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe is demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, and the age and world which are to come. And you keep reading. 
Um, let me pick up right here. And he says, and he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete. It fills everything everywhere with himself. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to find a closing point here. So Paul is praying that you and I, we start to understand this hope. He's praying that we start to understand our inheritance. He's praying that we begin to tap into the power that you and I have. And he, and he goes on to say, in this power and in our inheritance, say inheritance. In our inheritance, there's the power on the inside of us. There is a name that is above every name. And it says, Jesus, he was made the head over all principality, power, ruler of the darkness of this world. He was placed ahead. Jesus has all power and authority. Can we agree on that? But Jesus is the head, not only of all principality, power, and authority. He's also the head of the body. Who is the body? We are. Who's the head? Jesus, okay, so if Jesus has all power and authority, if Jesus has the name that is above every name, if Jesus said he was raised from the dead and he says all power and authority has been given unto me, and now I give it unto you, the body. Jesus, the head, his head doesn't have one degree of power and his hand have another degree of power, right? His head, so if I come up to you and I said, hi, my name is Trey, but my knee's Bill, how's it going? You would think, that is a strange duck right there. Hi, this is Trey. This is John. See, we've separated the head from the body. And my hand has just as much right to be Trey as my head. My knee has just as much right to be Trey as my head. My kidney has just as much right to be Trey as my head. And the head, Jesus, who is over the body, says, I give my body the same power and authority that I had. Now I need my body to go and take the keys that I gave them and to set the captives free, to loose the prisoners from bondage. I need them to go lay hands on the sick. I need them to go cast out devils. I need them to go into their areas of influence and them forbid and bind the demonic activity. See, you don't have dominion and authority everywhere you go as far as in people's house, in people's territory, but you do when it comes to your sphere of influence. I'm not going to come to your house and start naming your kid. Why? Because I don't have authority at your house. I'm not going to come to your house and start naming your dog. Why? Because I don't have dominion and authority at your house. And I'm not going to let you come to my house. But when it comes to my family, when it comes to my animals, when it comes to my calling, when it comes to my gifting, he says, I give you the gift. I give you the grace. I give you the keys. Now I need you to go and bind up the demonic activity. You don't have control over people's will. You don't have control over people's choices. But you do have dominion and authority over demonic activity. You do have dominion and authority over tornadoes coming in this area and stealing and killing and destroying. You do have a name that is above every name. You open your mouth and you begin to command that thing to get back up. You begin to command that thing to reroute. 
Last, last week, uh, there's a lady up in Colorado that she's been following our teach for a long time. And, and she had remembered, she came up to me after I was done preaching. And she says, Trey, I was just so excited. You know, you've taught us how to plead the blood of Jesus over our property and our land. And I, I was at work and the fires were coming up right up to the offices. And they evacuated everything. And I just said, no, see, when you know, you're bold. She said, I walked to the edge and I drew a bloodline. And I said, I command you to reverse on yourself in the name of Jesus. And she turned around and she said, within three minutes, the thing had turned completely around. And reversed on itself and they was able to put it out. She said, it works. But see, it only works if you work it. I could sit up here and tell you for hours of time after time speaking to storm cells and clouds and tornadoes coming right at us and commanding the things to get back up. How could Jesus do that? Because he knew the source behind the storm. See, you can't give something you don't have. You're not, if you're sitting here wondering, well, I wonder if God's trying to teach us something. If he's trying to teach us a lesson, well, you're not going to speak to the thing. If you're hesitant, if you're guessing, if you're wondering, and you're wishing, that's why Paul says, I pray that you have a confident expectation of who you are in Christ Jesus, and you open your mouth, and you use the name that is above every name, and if it's coming right at you, you say, not at my house, you don't. I, I was doing a roping clinic at uh, Decatur, and we're sitting there watching videos and everything last year, the year before, something like that, and, and this person comes into the, to the classroom, and he says, Oh my gosh, the tornado's coming. Get your rigs. Get inside the building. And fear just gripped the environment just like that. I said, Whoa. I said, It's not coming here as long as I'm here. And I said, I command you in the name. And I just began to speak to this. I mean, it was jet black coming right at us. And, and within minutes, minutes, you could watch the thing just go, Ooh, just go right around. And this guy looked at me. He said, Boy, you got the juice. I said, yeah, his name's Jesus, and you can have the same juice. Why, why do I tell you that? Because there's so much more in us than what we've been acting on. And Paul is praying, I encourage you to start praying these prayers for yourself. That I pray that the eyes of my understanding are enlightened. That I can know the confident expectation. That I can know the inheritance that Jesus died to give me. So that I can walk in the power. The unlimited, immeasurable, surpassing greatness of his power. The same power that Jesus has is the same power he gave me. And Jesus is no longer on the earth. He is in heaven. He gets his will done through the body. Through the hand. Through the foot. Through us. He needs us to believe, meaning I'm walking in accordance with him. Then his will can be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Then his will is done on earth just like it is in heaven. When I'm believing, when I'm walking in accordance, then, say then. Then his will is done on earth just like it is in heaven. And there's no sickness in heaven. There's no tornadoes taking out the right side of the throne room. There's no, none of the things that kill, steal, and destroy. He says, you take your keys and you bind and you loose and you go into your sphere of influence and you set the captives free. God is challenging us as the body of Christ to rise up. He's challenging us, those things that are on the inside of you that you haven't developed yet, I'm challenging you to get off your backside. And it is very selfish for us not to develop everything that God has placed on the inside of us. You know people's eternity is attached to you being the best you you can be? A lot of times we let what we see out here talk us out of what we saw in here when we was a young kid. 
because this happened and this happened and life happens and it got hard and these people left and they lied and they, uh, and we let what's happening out here talk us out. But when this gets so strong in here, when life tries to knock you down, you're just going to bounce right back. Though I fall, I will arise. What do you see in here? Come on, church. I want you to see, not with your eyes. What does the real you look like? What gifts do you have on the inside of you that you've stopped seeing because of what you've been looking at? What calling, the calling, calling, calling. How many times we have a habit, somebody calls or something. I get somebody calls, I keep it on silent stuff. Calling or something, maybe somebody calls and you just hit the silent button. You just hit the silent button and God has been calling you for years. And the silent button, you just keep it. It's a habit now. You just hit the silent button. And the call is there and the call will never go away because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You can run from it, but he's going to keep calling and he's going to keep calling and he's going to keep calling because he cares about you. You realize that, right? He has equipped you. He's designed you. He's chosen you. He's appointed you. He has gifted you. He has graced you. And he is calling you and I to rise up and be who we're called and created to be. To make a decision. No devil in hell. No lies that people have spoken over me. No hindrances that people have tried to put on me. It's going to stop me from being who God has called and created me to be. Look at your neighbor and say, there's more in you. Look at your other neighbor and say, there's more in you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? You are created for more. Worship team, if you would go ahead and make your way up. You, church, we are created for more as the body of Christ. Stay with me. Don't let yourself drift and think about other stuff. Stay, stay with me right here. What, what has God put in you? Moms, dads. Young people, what has God put in you? Young, young man, there's no reason that you can't know exactly what God has put you on this earth to do as a young man sitting in this church right now. I, I'm encouraging you just like Paul did Timothy, stir up. Stir up the gift of God. Stir up the calling of God. Stir up your assignment. It doesn't matter your age. God's not done with you yet, but you've got to stir it up. You've got to, you've got to keep the embers burning. You've got to keep the fan burning. Life happens to every single one of us. This isn't a, a tiptoe through the tulips and everything's just going to be fine and dandy. But no, you've got to see yourself the way that God sees you. When things come, you're created to overcome. You're created to conquer. You're created to keep moving forward. You're created to worship. You're created to praise. You're created to open your mouth and declare the name that is above every name. You are created in the image and likeness of God to rule and reign in this life through one man, Jesus Christ. There's more in us. There's more in us. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here today. You've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and personal Savior. What does that mean? <laughs> when you go on the inside of you, remember when you know, you're bold. When you go on the inside of, of yourself, heads bowed, eyes closed, can you recall a time in your life when you called upon the name of Jesus? Can you recall a moment when you settled where you were going to spend eternity. 
I'm not asking you if you went to church. I'm not asking if you did it for your mom. I'm just, I'm talking to you. Who do you say that he is? If you were standing in the presence of Almighty God, are you confident that you would spend eternity with God? Because at some point in time in your life, you did believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And you did declare with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. And when a person does that, it says eternal life enters into us. The life of God comes into us and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We come out of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We come into the family of God, heads bowed, eyes closed. Are you confident that you'll spend eternity with God? Because the Bible says when a person receives Jesus, they know. They know. They don't guess. They don't wish. They know. That they have eternal life. Does every person at the sound of my voice. Do you have that knowing. That you're going to spend eternity with God. If you don't have that knowing. This is what I'd like us to do as friends and family. I'd like us to pray this very simple prayer. Together out loud. And the reason I have us do it out loud together. Is I want the people that are doing this for the first time. Either here online. I want them to be confident in the prayer that they're praying. Another reason that I do it is I want you familiar with the heartbeat of this prayer so you can pray with your friends and your family. So if you're wanting to settle where you're going to spend eternity, you're wanting to ask Jesus to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior, and settle where you're going to spend eternity. As we pray this prayer, I want you to believe these words in your heart. I want you to declare these words with your mouth like your eternal destiny depends upon it because it does. And according to God's word, right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, the life of God enters you and you come out of darkness and into light. Can we pray this simple prayer together out loud, all of us? Can we say, Father God, now say it like you mean it. Father God, today is the day that I make the decision to believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to give me life. And right now, I accept that life. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And according to God's Word, I'm now cleansed, forgiven, saved, and I can be certain that I'll spend eternity with Almighty God. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.